Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Movie Brats Podcast. Uh, I am Carter and joining me after a long summer hiatus is Jonathan. How are you doing, Jonathan? How has your summer been? Fine, I was just in Florida and I'm getting back in the swing of starting to teach in a few weeks. Yeah, summer is closing. Uh, the awful summer movie slate is coming to an end and good movies will be coming out soon with the film festivals of the fall. And very big news with the slate of the 2019 Toronto International Film Festival announced a couple weeks ago, including movies like A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, directed by Mario Heller, who is the director of what was your top movie of last year. Can you ever forgive me? Number two. Number two. Are you looking forward to this, or do you think it's unnecessary after the Mr. Rogers documentary of a couple years ago? Well, I think that there's no better casting than Tom Hanks says Fred Rogers, except I don't know that I'll ever not go. Oh, that's just Tom Hanks. That's exactly how I I think it's one of those with like, yeah, it's like the Anthony Hopkins and Oliver Stone's Nixon. You kind of just have to get over that. They don't really look anything like I mean, it's not like it's totally different, but it's just you go, that's Tom Hanks. It's hard but, for me to uh, accept Tom her, Hanks she, as any real person, because that's exactly how I feel. I just see Tom Hanks at this point. So, like, he's going to play Colonel Tom Parker except, in the Elvis movie, and I'm going to be, like, just seeing Tom Hanks the whole time. I will say, though, that I do think in Captain Phillips, he did a very good job of, uh, as good as he could, uh, of being erased of, of Tom Hanks in movie star. He was very, I think a lot of that was also the Paul Greengrass style mm-hmm. of shooting, but I think that's one of his best. It's crazy. He's never been nominated for an Oscar since Castaway. Oh, and he's wow. been so many good films. Almost 20 years. But, um, yeah, and I, I'm pretty sure that he'll get a nomination for this, but who knows? He was he, They thought he'd get nominated for Captain Phillips. Well, The Post also seems like movies. a supporting actor, like shoe-in for someone like Tom Hanks in a Spielberg movie. That's sort of shocking he wasn't nominated. Right. Well, Mario Heller, her first film was called Diary of a Teenage Girl, and that was wonderful. So she's done two really strong films in a row, so I have every hope that this will be a good one. This and, seems much um, more it's one of those... mainstream than her last two movies, though. Uh, like a big sort of studio, Tom Hanks starring vehicle. I wonder how her sort of style, which is a li- not exactly uh, for everyone, is going to come across in a Mr. Rogers movie. Well, I don't. The thing, the movie really isn't a Mr. Rogers biopic. It's about this journalist interviewing him. So it's going to be one of those like Selma, where it's not a Martin Luther King Jr. biopic. It's uh-huh. it tells a story, and he's a big part of it. But uh, so I think I think it's going to be a little more indie uh, feel to it than just a bit. It's not going to be like Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, uh, <laughs> or the you know, it's not going to be a, the Disney movie that uh, Tom Hanks was in a few years ago with a. Uh... <laughs> about Mary Poppins. Emma Thompson. Yeah, Emma yeah. Thompson. <laughs> right. And yeah, and it was surprising he wasn't nominated for that one either, yeah. but um a- another one that's coming out is Ford versus Ferrari mm-hmm. by James Mangold, and I'm a little disappointed that Michael Mann was going to do yeah. uh, a Ferrari film and I was <laughs> like, I want to see that. I mean, James Mangold's done some good films like the 310 to Yuma remake and you know, as far as comic book films go, he did Logan. I think that mm-hmm. was his most recent film, mm-hmm. one of his most. So, uh, who's starring in that film? Christian Bale and Matt Damon, which is a first time they've been together, right? I can't think of a movie they've been in together before. Uh, Christian Bale's playing 
a famous English race car driver, and it seems like he's like doing a, a Cockney accent, which is actually sort of how Christian Bale talks. It is going to be funny to see him actually do an English accent in the movie. It seems like he's always doing American accents. And then Matt Damon, I think, is also playing an Englishman. I think he's playing the designer of the Shelby. Maybe he's an American. But either way, it'll be very interesting to see them uh, paired up together, and that's going to be one of the big awards favorites for next year. But then that definitely sort of a twist on the main sort of uh, at film festival fair is the Joker movie coming out that Todd Phillips is directing with Joaquin Phoenix in the starring role, uh, which is something we've been looking forward to for a really long time. And uh, seeing some definitely taxi driver vibes from it, and I know you're looking forward to it. I think it might be really bad. <laughs> but it's definitely going to be well, a the, different take on a superhero movie. Yeah, and the king of comedy because basically De Niro is playing the Jerry Lewis character while Joaquin Phoenix is playing his character from that film. Yeah, I mean, I would say this is the number one film this year that I'm optimistically intrigued by. It, <laughs> I mean, you, you can't ever really trust the programmers, but I've heard people say this is like a real work of art. This is a serious film. And I like that the director Todd Phillips who directed the hangover films in old school. Uh, he is, uh, saying that he really completely threw out the comic books. Like he said that uh-huh. I don't really care. And that's fine with me. I don't <laughs> care. Now there are comic book geeks who are like, he had an orange nose instead of a red one. They'll be like those type, but, and it's very good that know, it doesn't I, have to fit into like a universe or anything like that. I don't think, I don't think it, they're trying to like hammer it into the DC universe. It would be stupid if they did. Cause well, if it's allowed to exist no, as a piece of its own, like it'll be very yeah. interesting. It has, <laughs> it has Arkham Asylum in it and it has basis. I mean, it's not just like taking that look. No, but I mean, it's not going to feed into the, yeah. uh, the Robert Pattinson. There's Batman not going to be an cameo year. in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Gal Gadot is but, wonderful. Um, I, I know. Um, I was just going to, this is really random, but on the Gilbert Gottfried podcast, uh, Gilbert couldn't come up with the name of Gal Gadot. And he was going, oh, oh, what's her name? Giggles Kazoo. <laughs> <laughs> but um, one I'm actually intrigued by, I was looking at the list, is Just Mercy. It's the new film by Destin Daniel Creighton, who directed a really wonderful film a few years ago called Short Term 12, mm-hmm. which was really kind of uh, the breakthrough film for Brie Larson. Mm-hmm. And, and reuniting um, with her in this I, movie. Yeah, it stars Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Foxx. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know anything about it. I think it's supposed it, to be but, a courtroom uh, drama from what I've heard, which uh, those can usually go either way. They can be very corny or they can be very moving, like uh, something like The Verdict. Uh, but the last one I think of being like a big courtroom drama is The Judge. Do you remember that with Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Robert Duvall? <laughs> that seemed like it was three hours long, but it was, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that that's one of the few films that I've seen in the last decade that was uh, that was nominated for an acting Oscar that I had I didn't see. Oh, I did, it got really, really mixed bad. reviews. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's most but, of the um, sort of, there's oh, a little lesser stuff. You can go through rapid fire and some more stuff oh, you're looking into. Well, wait a second. There's the special presentation. I mean, they're showing... Oh, let me just list some of them are played at Cannes, but um, there's Pain and Glory, the Pedro Almodovar film, Parasite by Bong Joon-ho, who uh, won the Palme d'Or. There's Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which is the highest Metacritic rating so far this year. Uh, There's The Lighthouse, the new horror film by the director of The Witch, his black and white fantasy film with Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. Um, 
one that I know that both of us are really excited about is The Personal History of David Copperfield by Armando Iannucci. Uh, you said that you were excited about that, the personal mm-hmm. history of David Copperfield. Oh my God, yeah, that's that's going to be <laughs> that's more there. of like a personal and, one. I uh, don't expect also, that to make too much like big uh, festival buzz, but that might be like my most anticipated yeah. movie for the rest of the year. Yeah, and just a few more. Uh, uh, the centerpiece film of the New York Film Festival that's also showing here is Marriage Story, Noah Baumbach's divorce comedy drama that has a really great cast. It's Scarlett Johansson, Adam Driver, Ray Liotta, Alan Alda, Laura Dern, and um, uh, 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 Merritt Weaver's in it. Uh, yeah, I'm just real uh, interested. Adam in Driver's that one. working and with also, like literally every interesting director in Hollywood now. <laughs> I know. And uh, Jojo Rabbit is going to be premiering there, or screening there at least. I don't know if it's premiering. Which is going to cause a lot of waves when that premieres. We talked about that earlier this year. That's the uh, Hitler youth (laughs) comedy with an imaginary Hitler as a friend. Yes, and there's Knives Out. That's screening there. And uh, and then what I'm really intrigued about that I don't know that anyone's really been talking about it, but there's Steven Soderbergh has a film called The Laundromat about the Panama Papers that stars Meryl Streep, Gary Oldman, Antonio Banderas, and Jeffrey Wright, James Cromwell, Sharon Stone, a really good cast. Yeah, Will that Forte, was done sort Chris of Cornell. without a ton of publicity and like it's a ridiculous cast and Steven Soderbergh. Uh, so yeah, I like sort of forgot that was coming out. Six minutes. <laughs> Yeah, it's only 96, 96 minutes, minutes okay. but yeah, so there's a ton of stuff that's coming, and I, I'll just mention one more. I said recently that uh, to a friend that I think maybe the top person in the entertainment world that is so genuinely talented, but that has so squandered their career is Eddie Murphy. Hmm. He is one of the funniest people on earth, but he is, especially in the last 20 years, he's almost <laughs> done nothing but garbage except for like dream girls but he has a new film called dolomite is my name where he's playing rudy ray moore and it's a biopic it's written by larry karazuski and scott alexander who wrote ed wood and the people versus larry flint and i mean it has a great cast eddie murphy wesley snipes mike epps craig robinson titus burgess uh, keegan michael key chris rock um so I, I'm hoping this is the one that reminds people how great Eddie Murphy can be. Yeah, and so, he's playing yeah, a comedian, a so hopefully it's a good showcase for his talents. Yeah. Which he's right. definitely struggled to find a good role for himself because, uh, you know, <laughs> there, there are yeah. And I hope that. he goes back to stand up. Oh, I would, I would, he, he would be someone I would die to see do stand. I mean, he says he'll go back to stand up sometime. He just has to be the right time. But oh my gosh, I'd love to see him be live. I'd love to see him live. But oh yeah, anyway, I mean, that'd be an incredible comeback. What two films are we going to talk about? <laughs> we are going to start off with the ninth picture by Quentin Tarantino, which we are reminded of in the uh, opening <laughs> card of the movie, uh, "Once Upon a Time in Hollywood," uh, which premiered July twenty sixth uh, a couple weeks ago, and originally premiered May twenty first at the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, and Margot Robbie. It is set in 1969 Los Angeles, where a fictional aging TV actor and his stunt double navigate a rapidly changing film industry and country. In addition to the two stars, there's a large ensemble cast and various intertwining storylines. Blending fact and fiction, a Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes score actually identical of 85 
which uh, I thought was sort of funny. And for as much as like uh, those scores have been really high, I've seen a lot of critical blowback, uh, especially in the treatment of Margot Robbie as uh, Sharon Tate. Uh, but we don't have to start off with that. What were your general impressions of uh, Quentin Tarantino's ninth movie? I think it's one of the best things he's ever done, and I think it's one of his most mature films. Not that I mind him being, you know, outrageously violent like a Kill Bill film, but mm-hmm. uh, people just have to get. I think people should go into it not expecting this really narrative-driven film. It's more character and mood-driven. It's kind of a hangout film. A lot of really and, long scenes that like go on for right, like half yeah, an hour uh, but, at a time. Yeah, it's right around the same length as Django Unchained, but that film felt way over long. I thought his last two films really felt too long. Like he he's keep tr- he keeps trying to make a his version of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm-hmm. And while I admire Django Unchained quite a lot, I really do don't like the hateful eight and the f- things that people criticize him about over long, the violence being gratuitous. He manages in this film to not, you know, it, it is a long film, but I didn't think it really dragged. Mm. I, I wouldn't say it's ever boring. It's, it takes its time and it's not real narrative driven, but I, I, I just was consumed with the film and I just liked, you know, being in that time period. A lot of it is just looking at all the corners at the posters and listening to the radio ads. It's just that it, it, you're enveloped in this world and just being in it is just really wonderful. I definitely thought it was the least ironic Quentin Tarantino movie maybe I've ever seen. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of, like, really smart dialogue. There was a little bit of, like, funny one-liners and stuff like that, but most of it was very sincere and, like, about an artist looking back on a lot of his work, which I guess Quentin Tarantino approaching his 60s and apparently only going to make one more narrative film after this if he sticks to this plan of only making 10 movies, that this was definitely, like, an end-of-the-career looking back on what I've done, very serious uh, Quentin Tarantino, but with a lot of really fun moments and maybe the best soundtrack of any movie he's put together. I've been listening to the songs from it for like constantly since I saw it. I've seen it twice, by the way. I went back a second time because like this is a movie, like you mentioned earlier, you just like want to like inhabit because it really luxuriates in the world and like all the neon of the nightlife and just like the songs on the radio and everything about it is just so cool. It's I definitely think it was one of the best movies Tarantino's made. Definitely his most serious and least ironic. Well, but it's also, I would say it's like maybe, it's the only one on IMDb that's listed as a comedy as one of the genres. And uh, if you don't don't count Four Rooms, which we don't don't need to talk about. (laughs) But also going along with it being his most sincere, I think it's one of his only films that's actually moving. There's a melancholy to the film. Like you actually care about the characters. Yes. I think that in Pulp Fiction, towards the end, you get to, there. There's this kind of almost like philosophical uh, quality to it, where it, you know it maybe not so much you're caring about the characters. I mean, you do care about them, but it's not so moving. Maybe, but there's yes. a weight to it. But this is one of his few films, Once Upon a Time, where I feel like there he really has. You know, you're supposed to care about the characters, and there's a warmth to them. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And it's, like, maybe the finest performance I've seen from Leonardo DiCaprio. And I think maybe now that he's finally gotten his Oscar, he's not so afraid to, like, take himself ser- so seriously all the time. And 
was actually like a little bit mocking of himself and like playing a past aging TV star. He's like sort of poking fun at his star persona in a way that I don't think he's really done before. Well, I think this is uh, Brad Pitt's film. Do you need to stop for a second? Okay. You can edit this back in. Carter's going over to feed his dog or something. He'll probably not keep this in because this is boring. Sorry, I'll cut you that. You can. I. I just. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Let me. Let me just go, uh, start in a second. Okay. All right. I would say this is Brad Pitt's film. Now, I really? don't think that Leonardo. Yeah, I don't think. I would not put Leonardo DiCaprio in the top 25 best actors of his generation. I've never thought he was that great an actor. He's a good movie star, and he's done some great performances, but there are like... This is part of what I'm saying, though, that that I think this is sort of a career-defining performance for Leo. Like, this is some of the best stuff I've seen from him. It, it's like when you it's like when Tom Cruise was cast in Magnolia. It's like he's he's very well cast and it's a perfect role for him. I thought he was great in The Wolf of Wall Street. He's great in Revolutionary Road. Basically, when he's playing assholes, he does a very good <laughs> job. And I'm not saying that he's like that in real life. But to me, the the like I think this is one of Brad Pitt's best performances, and I think it's his best performance since probably Moneyball. Oh, wow. Uh, it's a very I thought, understated like, the I whole movie. Through, he doesn't do a whole lot. Right. And, you know, going to the criticism about, you know, Margot Robbie and like there was this I think I don't even want to almost give it, you know, mention it. But there was someone that went through and counted the lines that women had in all of Tarantino's films, but didn't count Death Proof. Well, and that was and, like a uh, very and, notable uh, media outlet. I think that was like it wasn't variety. Time. It was it was Time magazine. Yeah. It was time. yeah. <laughs> it's like this is unbelievable. Now, OK. <laughs> Okay, I'll say, okay, Jackie Brown, Kill Bill, and to me, it's like, the women characters can be as violent and kick-ass well, and, and despicable and amazing. It's like, he, I know, it's just like, I the idea that, like, oh, Margot Robbie playing Sharon Tate doesn't have that many lines, well... <laughs> So what? Like it's like a performance isn't just like counting the lines of dialogue. And yeah, exactly. A, and a scene where she almost doesn't speak a word, where she attends a public screening, just in like a normal afternoon showtime of a movie. She's like the fourth or fifth fifth build actor in, and she just sits in the crowd and like watches people react to her performance, and is like very like excited to see herself on screen, and she like goes through a range of emotions. That, like, gives so much more to an audience than her saying, like, you know, even a whole page of, like, a soliloquy or, you know, dialogue or something like that. So even counting the lines is such an absurd way to, like, calculate uh, representation in a movie. And I don't want to give away the ending. We're not going to give away the ending. But people have – critics have criticized the film – for you know attacking women at the end and i'd like to point out that the guy gets very attacked in a very personal way and the people that get attacked like i don't feel sorry for them i don't feel sorry for nazis i don't feel sorry for slave owners i don't feel sorry for the people that get it at the end of this movie i'm sorry like if you're saying tarantino's violence is directed towards people who actually deserve it that's sort of one of like the low-key untalked about things in Tarantino's violence. It's usually not done to, like, innocent families or things like that. 
Yeah, and it's like even though I really don't like the hateful eight, I think one of the best things in it is Jennifer Jason Lee, mm-hmm. and I don't get the argument that oh they're just he has this violence against women. Like all the characters get like horrible ends, and there's just yes. people getting their heads blown off, and there's <laughs> but it's like she's just one of the guys. It's like yes. she, I mean, it's almost. Uh, you know, it, it's a good thing that she is, you know, as willing to be nasty and violent and, you know, unpleasant as the. I, I, I just don't get the argument. I mean, he, yes, he is a director that has often given women great roles and they've been kick ass just as much as the men, if not more so, in many of his films. No, I totally agree with that. But to move back to you saying Brad Pitt wins this movie over Leonardo DiCaprio, I guess what would, what is your favorite like? moment scene involving brad pitt in the movie that like won't give away spoilers well the ending but i i well i mean i'll just say one thing he's 55 (laughs) and when he takes his shirt off it's like go to hell i mean it's like ridiculous how hot he's still and i mean i think so you're judging his performance mostly based on him taking his shirt off on top of a roof well, I'll say it is a great movie star performance. That's one thing. And also, I think he's an actor that, well, this isn't important to the point. I think he's as hot as he's ever been. Like, I think he's hotter <laughs> now than he was like 30 years ago in Thelma and Louise. But uh, no, but but seriously, I think that the thing about Brad Pitt is that he he's one of those big, giant movie stars that also is almost a character actor in a way. Like, he's done a lot of different films. I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio, I think of as... He's done a lot of different characters, too, but he's always, like, Leonardo DiCaprio, big movie star, doing this role. Like, with yes. Brad Pitt, he he's done, so, like, the assassination of Jesse James. He's, you know, being that or quirky guy. Or even that, guy like, weird cameo reading. at the end of 12 Years a Slave where he's in it for, like, 10 minutes. <laughs> That's something DiCaprio would I just know. never do. Yeah, he's like, I'm the uh, producer on this film. I get to be the one good white guy in the film. Like, I give myself that role. But, um, no, I I think it's one of the best things he's done ever and certainly in a long time. He hasn't been in too many movies. It's interesting that neither of them have been in a movie. You know, th- this is the first film at all from Leo since The Revenant. And, wow, I didn't uh, even think about Brad that. Pitt, and Brad Pitt, it's uh, he did a- – cameo in Deadpool 2 and he did uh, a small part uh, well he did a Netflix film called War Machine which nobody saw so uh, he's done like one film a year uh, in in this tiny stuff recently but yeah I think they're uh, I mean Leo's good in the film I just every time I see Leo I I see him acting and sometimes he's doing a good job but that also plays really into his character in the movie who's like wants to be right. an actor so right. badly i think this is such a perfect marriage of like star persona in part no. in a way yeah. that no, i it's, think it's, is it's... is way bigger than what brad pitt's part is who is very good and understated but like and this is one that i mean obviously dicaprio will get more acknowledged uh when like dreaded award season comes around because it is a much more showy role but i think that definitely plays into you know a lot of what you're saying and like there's a part where like uh, he gets very angry at himself because he missed some lines that he rehearsed the night before and he thinks that people are going to be upset because they like think that he didn't rehearse. And then like the next scene, he totally knocks it out of the park. And it's just such a great emotional moment. One that you don't see very often in Tarantino, but it was one of the more moving things I've seen DiCaprio do in his career. 
Right. Well, I think that one of the best set pieces in the film is when Brad Pitt's character goes out to Spawn Ranch. Yes. Uh, and there's Bruce Dern in the bed. That's just so well written. And that is a so great well pit part where him just being a presence and, you know, just like his sort of just movie star presence in the area, like, reflects so much. And there's just a tenseness to the scene that uh, that he plays so well. It's very different roles. Pitt is way more like just in the world and DiCaprio is like trying to show you how good he is, <laughs> which really reflects their characters. Right. Well, I mean, we don't want to give away the ending, but I had a lot of things going around in my head thinking about the, you know, the, the meaning of the movie about, mm-hmm. you know, he talked about, you know, this is a movie star. Leonardo DiCaprio plays a star who was very popular on television and he has a successful career in the film, but it's waning and he hasn't made a really strong transition from television to film. Like he hasn't done what Clint Eastwood has done at the time or Steve McQueen. And so he's questioning whether he uh, is going to do another TV show because he's really just doing guest spots or to go over to Italy to do spaghetti Westerns, which is what Eastwood did. And he, you know, it created his, you know, really launched his film career. Mm -hmm. Um, And the thing that's going on is that, uh, Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate live next door and they represent the next era. Yes. You know, he has this macho 50s, 60s uh, idea of masculinity. And then Roman Polanski and the Peter Fondas, they represent this more androgynous hippie, you know, that this is what a guy is now with long hair There's and dirty There's a scene feet. where uh, Roman Polanski's literally dressed as like Austin Powers, which is like the frill shirt and like wearing a purple, just like ridiculous velvet outfit right i know and it's just uh it's 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 a really interesting look at and i i I don't i haven't quite nailed down what i think tarantino is saying about hippies in that time period i mean i've seen a critic say this is tarantino's make america great of stuff like that coming on uh you know like uh, the advent of streaming and stuff like that is a little bit you know similar to how it was at the time Well, but I was going to say, though, that I heard one critic said this is Tarantino's Make America Great Again film, and he really did not like the film. He thinks that this film is like two white masculine guys, you know, saving the day, and it's like – the, that Brad Pitt is Trump and that he's like, you know, punching, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I really like the film, but I'm not entirely sure. I, I keep processing what I think. It's very anti-hippie. Know, I mean, in a way that I've never really seen from a movie, <laughs> especially considering how people look back at the sixties and especially hippies with such rose tinted glasses. They're usually made out to be the heroes and, you know, <laughs> on the right side. But we really see, like, the worst of the hippie movement, especially in, like, the Manson family in this movie, in a way that uh, has not really been depicted in many movies that I've seen. Well, um, were there other performances that stuck out to you? I mean, I thought um, Dakota Fanning was very good at Squeaky Frome. She's really creepy, and uh, (laughs) that's part of that scene that I mentioned that's so good. Just a lot of, like, the sort of classic uh, Tarantino picking out you know, a familiar sort of face, but putting it in like a different sort of context than you're used to. Timothy Oliphant was a perfect 60s TV star. Uh, he just has the exact perfect look for like someone being of that era and being like a cowboy. Um, I thought Austin Butler, Aust- the guy who's going to play Elvis, was fantastic as a member of the Manson family. Yeah. 
he had like a really weird sort of like dark seething energy to him uh that was a very good counterbalance right. to brad pitt in the spawn ranch scene um and he is really outstanding in the in the final scene uh the guy who played bruce lee mike mo i thought was very funny and that scene is like caused yeah. so much controversy. Have you seen the stuff about like Bruce Lee's son saying like my dad never would have acted like this? It's like, bro, this is a fictional it's his movie. Daughter, I think, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it, it, it's a joke, really. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's like you know, Brad Pitt's character is so like macho and strong that he didn't even beat up beat up Bruce Lee. Exactly, like, that's yeah. the joke. <laughs> like it's a fantasy, you know. Um, I wanted to mention too. I think that the little girl Julia Butters, who plays Trudy, she's real scene stealer, and she could even be possibly nominated DiCaprio, uh, best in that supporting scene actress. I mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah, which would be really fantastic yeah. if she actually was nominated for that. Uh, so, right. Yeah. Hopefully, she really goes places in the future. We should. We can see child actors sometimes not come into themselves as adult actors, but she was great as like a very serious, uh, committed actor. Uh, who presents the word actress because it doesn't make any sense. That was a great line. Uh, yeah, just like performance well, like, um, like that. It's crazy people can like say Tarantino's a misogynist when you get such an incredible performance from a young actress. What's her name again? Uh, Julia Butters. Julia Butters, yeah. She's really fantastic. Yeah. Okay, I don't want to talk about Oscars this far in advance, but I'm going to make a prediction that this will be one of the this will be the most nominated film because it's going to get best picture, probably best director, almost certainly best screenplay, if not winning it. But who yes. knows? I don't even. It's going to get a, a, probably more than one acting nomination. It's going to get a b- bunch of technical awards like production design and costume and cinematography. So I'm going to make a prediction that whatever gets the most nominations. Uh, next year, uh, this will be. Uh, I definitely you know, see double. It will digits. be the number. One. Yeah, I totally agree yeah. with that. And we can move yeah. on to a movie uh, I, that probably will not yeah. receive any Academy Award nominations, and was seen by less people than I hoped. Uh, we are talking about Midsummer, uh, directed by Ari Aster, who did Hereditary. Uh, that come out last year or two years ago? I can't even remember. It premiered at Sundance last January, and it premiered right around a year uh, before Midsummer. Yes, Midsummer. So he's, uh, he's, he's, you know, making one yeah. a year and just coming into the summer and haunting our dreams. Uh, it originally premiered June twenty fourth and came out in the wide U.S. July third, starring Florence Pugh, Jack Rayner, and Will Poulter. It is uh, about a woman who suffers a traumatic incident. And then goes with her boyfriend and his friends on a trip to Sweden for a festival which occurs once every 90 years. The festival in the cold-like community that hosts it proved to be stranger than the travelers expected in a variety of ways. A Metacritic score of 73 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 83. Uh, Midsummer. <laughs> what were your initial thoughts about it? Definitely a movie I watched and was like, what the hell? After it finished. And spoiler alert, we're probably going to go into what happens at the end because this has been out for a month. Well, let me set this up by saying I was actually disappointed in Hereditary, his first feature film. I thought that, like this film, it has a terrific lead female performance uh, in Hereditary of Tony Collette. And I thought it was very well directed and eerie, but I felt like it was a number of set pieces, a number of really effective scenes that didn't add up to much. And I thought the ending was stupid. I actually like Midsummer more. 
And I think that it, I would describe it as the original Wicker Man meets Albert Brooks's modern romance. In interviews, he has talked openly about being one of the biggest influences on this film was Albert Brooks's second feature film, uh, Modern Romance, which is this dark romantic comedy uh, about a guy breaking up with a woman. And it's the ultimate bad breakup movie. And I wouldn't this movie funny but it's absurdist and and you shouldn't just take the film as being the straightforward horror film i almost would say that it's more of like a trippy disturbing like i don't even know thriller's the right word i mean i'm definitely saying it is a horror film but it's it's, a lot of ways it's like a study of a local culture like the community in sweden there's a lot of stuff that's very like anthropological and especially considering like this was one of the confusing parts of the movie about what, like, how old the main characters were supposed to be, because they're, like, referred to as graduate students, but, like, some of them seem like they're, like, mid-early 30s, and Florence Pugh seems like she's, like, 20, so that to me was, it's not like I got hung up on that, but that was just, like, how old are these people supposed to be? So two of them actually, well, like, get in an argument over, like, who's gonna write their dissertation about the community, and that leads to certain, uh, a lot of the movies, like, and like, have you ever seen like Seinfeld, the Festivus episode? Yeah. How they have the airing yes. of grievances. I feel like a lot of this movie is like the airing of grievances, and like the settling yeah. of like how you feel about people for real. <laughs> well, I think that the movie works on this. I mean, it, it, you have to go along with it. On you have to get on its wavelength. It's like Once Upon yes. a Time in Hollywood. It's a long film. It's but almost also, two it and a half hours, and there's going to be a near like really intensely. And I think before there's an opening sequence before they even get to the community in Sweden that I think was more trauma inducing than anything I saw uh, actually occurring at the place in Sweden where so much violence happens. Right. Well, it's interesting. Uh, an- another comparison with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is that they're long films where a lot of the film is not violent, that there's not that much screen time of violence. It's just that when there is, it's very graphic. Some of the most graphic I've actually ever seen in a movie. A particular incident where elderly people jump off of a cliff and land on a stone below them, and then one of them is not fully dead. It is thus smashed by a hammer by several uh, village people. was honestly one of the most graphically violent things I've ever seen in a movie. Right. Uh, Ari Aster said that he wrote this film after going through a breakup of a long-term relationship, and that's uh, partially where the film came from. He actually, after doing Hereditary, they uh, this area uh, where he filmed the film, they said, would you like to make a movie here? And he thought, well, I don't know that I have an idea. And he thought, well, I'll put this in with my bad breakup film. And yeah, I, I think that uh, Florence Pugh is one of the best actresses of her time. I mean, Lady Macbeth, she's fantastic. And earlier this year, she was in the film Fighting With My Family. She's very, you know, she very different roles, but she's really wonderful. And she's going to be in Greta Gerwig's Little Women mm-hmm. this year. Uh, so she's like really someone to Still only keep an eye out years for. Old. And absolutely I know. carried one of the best TV shows of last year, The Little Drummer Girl, uh, in a very underseen but incredible performance. And she was, like, absolutely outstanding in this. Like, just, like, the range of emotions she goes through and how 
she becomes very relatable throughout in very unrelatable circumstances in a way that the movie really could have fallen apart if the like lead performance was not as convincing as it ended up being. Right. You know how there's a lot of horror films, even if you enjoy them, the characters are disposable. Like you're waiting for them to get killed off in this film. It really is like a character study where you care about the characters. And by the end of the film, when what happens happens, you feel very <laughs> vindicated. Like you, you feel attached to her and, yes. and it's, it, it, it's, it's like one of the most like disturbing, like final sections. That's also, if you're messed up like me, very fulfilling. It's somewhat like cathartic. But you call it yes. a horror movie, and this was like something coming out of it. I thought about it. There isn't too much like scary stuff in it, or even like jump scares. There's a couple with like there's a weird looking kid, and they use that for a little bit of like body horror. And there's a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of moments where there isn't violence, and it's like sort of pleasant summary stuff, and then just explosive sort of really quick segments of violence. But it was not like scary as much as it was like intense and violent. Like, do you think it is a horror movie? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, I think it's that. I think both of his films are definitely horror films, but they're not just that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he, I've heard him talk in interviews about the film being like a dark fairy tale, mm-hmm. and that's how I thought of it. And it's also it's interesting how a lot of aspects of horror films, this film is not. It's very bright. Yes, it's very open spaces. It's not corners and alleyways and dark. You know, it, it's very very bright, and mm-hmm. it's all. You know, a lot of shots are used in you're looking in the background a lot during the movie. You're like, what's going on? What are they scheming in the background? Yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, I yeah, I mean, I, I, I was someone who was disappointed in Hereditary. And I think Midsommar is really uh, I, I, I just admire when films are weird and they don't mind being weird. And mm. and he has a vision. And I feel like with Hereditary, I know I'm in the minority, but I felt like he had really good scenes, uh, but it didn't come together. And I felt Midsummer, even though it's very odd and it has these weird elements to it, it to me it came together better as a whole, uh, and I found it more uh, fulfilling. I mean, yeah, it was like a surprisingly like rich experience as a, like a film being experience. It wasn't just like a whole bunch of scares and, you're and stuff like that. You're not a big like horror that. fan. No, I'm not a big you're horror a big fan horror. at all. And it was such a weird way to see it. I saw it in the Alamo draft house and you know, like people were like ordering food and drinks during it. And I was like, I could not imagine like consuming things during this movie, but uh, especially yeah. like beer or hamburgers. Uh, but well, I overall, well, I, I really, I was, really liked it. Yeah. I was saying in Florida, uh, I was just in Florida. My mom and I went to see a, a place like that where they serve food, Raging Bull, mm-hmm. which is another film that's not exactly like, you know. <laughs> I am not an animal. Out. Can I get a surprise? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there was, this, there was this older couple that came in like halfway through the film. I think they just wanted to eat and they were sitting <laughs> and eating. And right as they were finishing, it came up the scene. Do you fuck my wife? <laughs> You fucked my wife, and they got up and walked out, and they didn't want to stay for the rest of the movie. And oh the person God. working there was like, "I think they were shocked." I was like, well, "What do you expect from a Martin Scorsese, you know, boxing film?" Like, I don't I know. know. Like, that's one but, of the toughest yeah, watches I mean, he has. This, I think, would be. I don't know if anyone walked out of my screening. Did anyone walk out of yours? No, because there was like nobody there hardly. But <laughs> yeah. uh, I, 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 this is definitely a movie that has a small audience. Yes. 
this is not for everyone. This is for people that don't mind a nearly two and a half hour, very graphic at times, weird film you got to think about afterwards. There's just odd things that happen and you're like, wait, what is that? There's a guy in a bear suit. This guy's been like ripped apart and he's like still breathing is it? and there's a like a I wouldn't call it an orgy, but there's a sex scene with multiple people in it. Um, so, One of the yeah, more it's, unusual it's sex scenes I've ever seen. Yeah, it reminded me almost of the end of the remake of Suspiria, like people like undulating in a group, you yes, know, breathing there together. There were definitely aspects of this that yeah. did remind me of Suspiria with like the cult elements and uh, like the sort of like intense female presence uh, that did sort of have overtones of that. But while that one was so dark and, uh, you know, really like neutral colors, this was so sunbaked and really vibrant, approaching it in very different ways. Um, but yeah, so we really but liked both movies, which you. Uh, which one would you say was is going to make a more lasting impact uh, and you think is going to oh. be the movie uh, you watch 10 years from now more? Probably Once, a time, <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Well, I like both of the films a lot, but I think the Tarantino films, like, without question, one of my top five of the year so far. Yes, that's it's definitely one there. I'll think of when it comes to the end and putting together a top 10 list. Right now, it might be number one. Uh We've, I've yeah, seen it's way up movies. there with the me. souvenir earlier from the year. I really liked, but this one, like uh, when it got to the climactic scene of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it was like the most into and like riveted and like what is going to happen next. I've been in like a lot of movies since like maybe like Mad Max Fury Road, where I was just like I'm in it and like this is great. What I'm seeing right now is like one of my favorite movies, and I know it already watching it. So yeah, that's very high praise, uh, especially for something I just saw. <laughs> having only seen it you know recently where would you rank it right now uh with your tarantino films for me pulp fiction is like still by far like by a big gap the best thing he's ever done like and i really like almost all of his movies but to me like pulp fiction's way up here at number one then i put kill bill as one film I'd say Inglorious Bastards and then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That that would be my top. I think top right for now. me, Inglorious Bastards will always be my favorite. I watched that at a very good time. I was like seventeen, I think, when that premiered, maybe eighteen. And that just hit all the right notes for me. That is a movie I'm gonna love forever. I think that is one of my favorite movies of all time. So that is my number one Quentin Tarantino. Pulp fiction and this I think are actually gonna share a tier right below it. Cause I think there are two very different sides of Tarantino where Pulp Fiction is like the super knowledgeable pop culture referencing look how cool everything i'm doing but i don't think it's got the sort of character depth that once upon a time in hollywood does and characters that i really enjoyed watching and being around and was very invested in by the end of it so i think they're like two sort of opposite sides of what tarantino is capable of doing as a filmmaker and i think the occupy a space right below inglorious bastards for me which, uh, as crazy as it sounds, having Glorious Bastards this is my number one Tarantino movie. I think that will always be the case. I, well, in my mind, Pulp Fiction and Once Upon a Time are like very similar films. They're yeah. both like hangout films. Like you're watching people just talk, and then there's these bursts of violence. And there's not, you know, there is narrative in Pulp Fiction, but he messes with it, and it's not so much about what happens to the characters. It's, you know, them going along on that journey. You yeah. know, you're watching, you know, and. Uh, I'll say that I've only seen three films more uh, three times or more in a theater. Uh, uh, Talladega Nights I saw three times, which is fantastic. Inglorious Bastards I yeah I saw Inglorious <laughs> Bastards three times, and I saw Mad Max Fury Road five times. Wow, uh, those are the only I, I 
I hardly ever see a movie more than once in theaters. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, my, my favorite films of the year so far are, you know, like the Tarantino film and then like everything else that would be like in my top like two through seven or eight or like films nobody has seen. Things like Peter Lou yes. and um, The Souvenir and I really liked uh, Transit. Mm-hmm. And I can I just plug one thing that nobody has seen? <laughs> yes, sure. I don't know if you're going to ever watch it. I think I think uh, quite possibly the best thing I've seen all year is Nicholas Winding Refn's 13-hour, 10-episode is it a film? Is it a TV series called Too Old to Die Young starring Miles Teller? Mm-hmm. And I just sat there watching this and I was like, who is this for? I am <laughs> loving this. It is so slow. It is so graphic. I mean, you want to talk about graphic. It's like the most disturbing, like nasty, gruesome TV show. Like you want to take a shower after every episode and all of them except the finale are over an hour long and some of them are 90 minutes or a little over 90 minutes. Wow. And it is glacially paced. It I've is heard there so is like a shot that lasts slow. about 20 minutes where there's like no movement inside of it. <laughs> it's like of a gas station. Well, maybe. I mean, <laughs> I mean, there's just, I, I just sat there in awe. Cause I mean, in, I heard him in an interview, Nicholas Winding Refn say that he has, he like never watches TV and he has not seen Twin Peaks, the return, but it's like, it's like his version of Twin Peaks The Return because he was just like, I'm going to a thousand percent do exactly what I want and I don't give a fuck what anyone else thinks because it is just like punishing and it is so cynical and nihilistic and it, I mean, I I really love it. And, and it I, is it, available it like, on Amazon Prime, right? <laughs> yeah. So that is yeah, a, a yeah. good and it's sort when of... You uh, have- out uh, product of the streaming era you got to see <laughs> nicholas winning reference ridiculous too old for die yeah. young that never would have been made without yeah, amazon I, so you owe amazon for that no and i just want to say it's a, it's it's the way you should watch it is when you're a hundred percent awake and ready to watch something that you know if you it will put you to sleep if you're not in the mood god turn all the lights off put the phone off and because you have to give it 100% of your attention or you're just going to hate it. You're probably going to hate it anyway. But I just have to give a plug that I think that is maybe the best thing I've seen all year. Uh, Too Old to Die Young, which was amazing. And I would love for you to watch it, Carter, and get your reaction. But it's a real commitment. <laughs> I might hours watch the first various... episode and we'll see. I've been a little yeah. more into like but Euphoria anyway. on HBO, which is a little more attention grabbing. But uh, probably well, less heard... rewarding. Because Euphoria ended up oh, being I've heard, terrible. Well, I've heard that's a really disturbing, though. I've heard that's a pretty disturbing show. It's, well, it, like, would be if what you're seeing in it you thought, like, was actually happening. But it's all so ridiculous that I can't take any of it seriously. <laughs> it's yeah. something you really well, just need uh, to see for yourself. <laughs> yeah, well, Too Old to Die Young is just so... Like, I mean, it's, I don't want to give it away, like what it's, it's about a bad, it's about a dirty police officer who's having a relationship with an underage girl, but then he's getting with John Hawk's character, who's a hitman, uh, who has a connection with a therapist who talks with uh, children and parents whose children have been sexually abused, and they go and just kill pedophiles in horrific ways. They just like go to their house and slit their throat, or they'll just shoot them in their car, and it, it, the show just like 
yeah, it's so un- I mean, I, it's genuinely like unpleasant and like nihilistic, and it's a very political show to me. Not like overtly, mm-hmm. but it's definitely like post Trump getting elected. Like, you know, and yeah, it, 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 don't watch the show if you've not seen like Only God Forgives and The Neon Demon. Like, mm-hmm. if you've only seen Drive and like, oh, I like that. Like, no, this is like hardcore Refin being completely like up his own ass and pretentious. And but I I loved it though. So I, that I'll just end on that. I loved it, and I think it's I would say it's the best thing I've seen all year. Oh wow. The best thing I've seen all year was yeah. season yeah, two a... of uh, Fleabag, which is also available on Amazon Prime. So Amazon is doing very I've well by the movie things. press this year. Yeah. It's amazing. I recommend that yeah, to anybody I... in the audience. I don't want to give too much away. I don't want to give anything away from Fleabag because going into it uh, in a totally unwashed experience would be definitely better. But yeah, our uh, hiatus for the next episode will not be as extended it was for this as it was for this episode. Hopefully we'll be back uh, two weeks, I think is what we're planning on. Uh, so yeah, thank you for joining us. And uh, if you have not seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, we could not recommend that higher. So go get your butts out of the theater and see that. Uh, and try <laughs> to see it on film if it's playing anywhere near you. On 35mm, Tarantino is one of the big proponents of that. So it's playing at a number of Alma Draft houses and you know the big cities. Go look for it in, uh, on film. So yeah, thank you for listening, and we'll be back with you all next time.